Good day, everybody. It is great to be here one more time today. And my name is Gary Fowler, and I'm the CEO, President, and Founder of GSD Get You Done Venture Studios, a premier AI and quantum venture studio located in the heart of Silicon Valley. I'm a 17 times zero entrepreneur with several unicorns under the belt. I was on the original management team at Click Software, which was sold to Salesforce for $1.35 billion, and also EBIT.ai, an AHR tech company that I co-founded with Dr. David Yang. We believe that intellectual capacity is evenly spread around the world, but opportunities are not. With that, I'd like to introduce my incredible guest, Greta Mayer. Greta is a serial entrepreneur. She is a graduate from Stanford University's Engineering and Product Design Group, class of 2019. She works in innovation, engineering, technology, business, and design. She is the co-founder and CEO of SQL, which is an R&D company focused on developing new products for the femcare space. She's designed uh, tampons to be more comfortable and absorb more evenly. So with that, I'd like to bring her on board. Hi, Greta. How are you today? Hi, Gary. I'm well. How are you doing? Thanks Good. for having me on. So are you originally from Philadelphia? Where are you from originally? I am. Born and raised in Philadelphia. So how is it coming out to San Francisco after having uh, pat steaks and being close to the shore for some blue crabs? Well, all good things. I, I came for Stanford in 2015 and haven't been able to leave the Bay since. So I love it out here. Still have a lot of family back east and, and like to spend time there as well, though. No, that's great. And so why did you you took a computer science course at Harvard University? What made you decide to go to the dark side and go to Harvard? <laughs> that was a, a summer course. I was really interested in kind of dipping my toes and didn't want to be underwater. I, when I got to Stanford, I knew where I was heading, which is just con computer science heaven. And I wanted to have a little bit of background because I really didn't have the opportunity to take any in high school. So I was just getting getting acquainted with what I was about to be thrown into. So, you know, as you've gone down through this journey, so you've got named uh, Forbes 30 under 30. You were a Fogarty Institute uh, fellow. You've gone down through this journey. What are the lessons that you've learned? What's really important coming from, uh, you know, Philadelphia area and to the where you are today? What are some of the lessons that you've learned? I think a lot of it comes down to um, surrounding ourselves with mentors and people that have been in your shoes recently. I think there is a propensity or an inclination to find mentors who maybe have exited many, many companies um, or who may be you know, really high level at huge companies right now. But to find people that have done it a year or two ago when you're going through some hard decisions that can really remember what it was like to be in your shoes, I think that's been that's been instrumental. So having mentors that you trust and and can go to with with problems that you might feel vulnerable asking. So when you've gone down through how much how important has been the Stanford connection? I think that was invaluable. And I think we are we feel really lucky to be in that community, um, even just having access to the alumni list. I remember the first time really learning how to fundraise. We were reaching out to people left and right um, and trying to figure out who could who could help us navigate this. I think it is there is a certain kind of uh, ability that it gives us to, you know, get our cold emails opened and stuff like that. So I'm eternally grateful for that. And just the the kind of ecosystem that it puts you in out in Silicon Valley, it's um, it's been wonderful to be a part of. Now, are you in San Francisco? Yeah, in San Francisco. 
How is it up there? Because I hear these stories. <laughs> There's a lot, of, a lot of stories going around. Um, I think it depends where you are in the city. We have. I think there's a there's a bad reputation now. I find when I tell people I live in SF, they're like, "Oh, are you okay?" Um, and I think it's it's a great place to live. Still very close to nature, and there's a lot of wonderful companies being born here that it's really fun to be around. But at the same time, you know, the the city is ebbing and flowing, and I think we're hoping for some some policy change to help us move in the right direction. Yeah, I remember taking my bike going up on Caltrain, working not too far from the train station taking my bike over there and then going back at nighttime. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I would even ride over in the Tenderloin in those areas. I went up there recently. I'm not sure I'd be riding around there anymore. I was yeah. like, this is not the same place I used to know. Yeah. Uh, and I'm it's, not sure. It's neighborhood, to, neighborhood to neighborhood. So I think if you, if you know where, where to stay away from, it's all, it's all good. So, you know, you look at it. So going down the design, how did your degree and your, your interest in product design, how does that really shape the way SQL is today? It's a great question. I mean, I think so. Our, our program was two parts. One part was mechanical engineering and one part was design thinking. So we were in the D school at Stanford. Um, and so you have the kind of problem solving in engineering. And I think the, the more fluffy side of things is really need finding. But I think that's a part that if you skip over as a company, you can have a really shaky foundation or you might be solving a problem that's not actually there or solving the wrong problem because you're not going to your customers a lot. So we see that a lot in really engineering heavy companies, which I think is a beautiful thing. But if you don't pair that with true voice of the customer, that can be really dangerous. So I think our training is is both of those, which I really value because you have the the softer sides of things. And then you also have the actual engineering to solve that problem. I think it's an invaluable combination and, and learning how to, to center the company around the voice of the consumer was something that our program did really well. And um, like I said, I think that, that, that curriculum is really unique and I think has is spreading to a lot of other engineering departments around the country. So, you know, then when you come out of, when you came out of Stanford and you started your company, you know, the one thing is, uh, you know, at Harvard, uh, which was original MBA program, they taught, they didn't teach uh, people how to be entrepreneurs, but rather how to be managers, right? And unless you've gone out there and taken money out of your pocket and had $100,000 on your credit card, you don't know what it's like. And so sometimes, you know, it doesn't matter what school you come from. We have uh, MIT MBAs inside of GSD right now. Right. It's about where you're going to go. And sometimes it's different than you think because there's a lot of risk involved. Right. And you're rolling the dice every day. How does it feel? Yeah, I, I find it really engaging. Um, I, I feel like I'm at a I'm young in my career. And so I I really assess this as, OK, is this a risk that's worth taking right now? Absolutely. And I think, secondly, would I regret not taking this risk? I think you make a great point about just the um, the level of risk that you're exposed to and how that can feel. I think in a lot of ways, it's it's like any job where you're you're obviously being held accountable to something. But I think as a founder, you're very personally kind of you're like, OK, my ass is on the line. You know, I I'm putting everything into this. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I think we have we're around a lot of people with high risk appetites. Obviously, the idea is that there's a high reward on the other side, but at the same time, you have to get comfortable with just 
you know, the level of risk that you're exposed to and how existential that can feel as well. So I think I personally have learned to operate well under that kind of pressure. I think it's not for everyone. And um, this job definitely wouldn't be comfortable for some people. But at the same time, it's it's really exciting. It feels like we're doing something new. Um, and every time that you're up against a hurdle, it's it's a fun problem solving kind of challenge. All right. Sounds great. You know, I just noticed my name's up there. I think some something happened when Zoom shut my computer off. <laughs> it, it changed this screen, too. It changed the uh, StreamYard. That's very strange because normally it would have your name there and my name. I oh, have no yeah. idea and it won't shut it off. I just tried. That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen, actually. So anyhow, I worked out. I apologize for that. We'll see if we can clean it up when we get down through the editing. But, you know, you've gone down through this journey and and so how is it how what kind of investors come out and are looking for technologies like yours and where do you find them yeah so we found a lot through the stanford network um through professors we started this in a class project at stanford um those professors and then also judges and mentors for that class project were some of our first investors and obviously still along the ride along for the ride with us have have really helped us through several rounds of funding um, and have helped the direction of the company immensely. I think the the investors that we really look for um, are those that can see not only, you know, we have a, a personal product, but it's also a medical device. So we have a lot of these kind of moats that that exist around our technology. So we had to have some investors that had either the appetite for that risk or the experience with that, where they're not afraid to invest in a physical product. I think that was, that's kind of like the first, the first, weeding factor is just okay are you solely focused on digital um that's a lot of investors nowadays unfortunately but it totally makes sense i mean the the level of manufacturing risk that we're exposed to and any physical product is is much higher um i think that's the biggest thing and then a lot of it is also who believes in us as founders and i think as an early stage company that's oftentimes what it comes down to you know we we are going up against a lot of risk, but to have a lot of a lot of investors will say early on, you know, we're really investing in the founders and we believe in not just that this is a problem that's fixable, but that you are the right team to do it. Excellent. I took that away. I see it. <laughs> we were sharing your title. Oh, for a little. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about that. That's amazing. And, um, you know, so so, you know, you look at it. You know, you talk to other female entrepreneurs, and we encourage female entrepreneurs inside of GSD from all over the world, people that are disenfranchised from everywhere. So what do you tell them when you talk to them about building a company? I mean, it's it's not easy. I don't care who you are, right? What age you are, it's, it's never easy. But it can be a lot of fun. What do you tell them? What do I tell other female, female founders? entrepreneurs? Yeah, when they're, you know, the, that are founders that want to do it. What do you tell them? What are the three things you talk about? Yeah, I talk about getting feedback a lot. I think there is a, I, I think I spoke earlier a little bit about how it feels very personal, any failure you have, because it's founding a company. And so it feels like this is me. And so if someone rejects maybe an investment opportunity, that can feel very much like a slap in the face sometimes to you personally. So I think I tell them often to just ask for feedback. And that was something that was really important to us early. You know, you're pitching to people and people are saying, um, I don't think this is a good investment fit or something like that, or come back later. And what what a lot of people's instinct is to do is to say, okay, screw you, I'm moving on. But I think what 
what it really pays off to do is to turn around and say, thank you. Like, I respect you as an investor. I would love some feedback. What would you like to see if, if and when I do come back in six months? And that way, not only you have a, a track record with them of saying, I asked for feedback and I executed on what you asked for, but you're building that relationship. Um, and I think it's a fundraising is a really can be a harrowing experience for a lot of people, but really seeing it as a growth opportunity, as, as trite as that sounds, I think that's my first point. Um, and second point is just, yeah, talk to as many people. There are, there are going to be no's, um, but just pitching, getting more comfortable with your pitch um, and honing that to be the most palatable to investors. That's a great thing. And then the third one would be for female investor, female founders themselves. A lot of times they're working on women's health. So I, I really push people to look at it not and not pitch it as a niche, because if you start doing that, then the investor will also think, okay, this is maybe an impact investment or something like that. I truly believe it's a great investment opportunity and it's an amazing market. And almost sometimes you, you, by saying, okay, we're a women's health company, or you're, you put yourself in into a category that in an investor's mind, they're not really thinking, wow, this is a massive market. So I always really, we really emphasize it's a huge market. It's obviously half the population. There are companies focused on very, very small problems for small populations. But if you're solving something for women, it's like automatically, you know, billions. Well, I mean, that's it. You know, you got to look at it not as an impact. That's sometimes, you know, I, I remember one time I had a house up in State College, Pennsylvania, not too far from where you grew up. And I brought this big house. And I never forget it. The woman said to me, she said, you know, I like the house, but the family room and the living room, uh, they're not in the right place. And I, uh, for whatever reason, I, it's the same room, exactly the same. There was nothing different, actually, other than one's in the front of the house, one's in the back of the house. But they're literally the same room, same size and everything, hardwood floors. And I said, to her, oh, I think I made a mistake. I, you know, it's a mirror. I was just kidding, right? I said, it's a mirror drawing. You're right. I said, you know, I switched them. The living room should be in the back and the family room should be in the front. I just was kidding. She said, I'll take it. I really love this house. And I, I thought to myself, how in the world could this person, this is exactly the same room, hmm. exactly the same room, say that. And um, just because I relabeled it. And so sometimes people don't have the imagination to understand what something can have. And, you know, part of it as entrepreneurs is to be able to paint those pictures with words, right? You've got a 90% of building a billion dollar company storytelling, telling a beautiful story to captivate people. You know, you can have the best product in the world, but it's like having a Ferrari in the garage. You never get it out. Exactly. I, I think that's, that is so true. It's all about how you position yourselves. And I think, I think we also think about it. It's seen as a niche because a lot of investors are male. And so they they rightfully so say, I've never had this problem. But you see men investing in companies for amputees or other medical issues that they, they haven't had either. And it just takes that, okay, I'm going to paint this story for you. I'm going to show you what it what this problem means. I'm going to, like you said, storytelling goes 90% of the way. Have you done anything with uh, generative AI and like an intelligent a chatbot and having an avatar to be able to help those uh, those females. That that is an interesting idea. We have not we have not really delved into that space at all. We're purely focused on our first product being the tampon, um, but have a lot of exciting other products in the pipeline that we are working on. So 
I'll, I'll write that one down as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the companies, the reason I'm saying that is one of the companies that I have inside of GSD is actually doing that for companies that are dealing with uh, females issues. So if you want, I can hook you up with them and you can have a, a conversation with them. I think it might be interesting for you because if you look at it, it's not just about having the product. It's about having somebody there to talk to you about, like interactively talk to you about what that is and how it can really help you and, and give you some pointers. And sometimes we forget the simple things, right? That you're right. You said something that's really interesting. And sometimes we forget it's about the human contacts and connections. And you're with those uh, investors. They're just like us. And yeah. if you keep that contact up and build a relationship, you can do, maybe it's not tomorrow, maybe it's two years from now, but the situation you go back to them, uh, that's why newsletters are important. Keep them all updated. That's why going to those right kind of events and parties to be able to talk to them and not be shy and go up because when it's all said and done, you know, we're so inundated with information. We have so much infobesity in front of us that sometimes mm -hmm. we forget things. So it's good to have that one, that touch point. So they remember you. Perfect. Completely. So when you when you went down through this process, what was the hardest thing to do? Um, let's see. I think so. We, we just got FDA clearance. I think that was a huge one. Um, I think for, in all honesty, the manufacturing was really challenging as well. Um, I think there's a lot of risk in that. In We have a great partnership with a company that is our, our manufacturing partner, but a lot of those risks are seemingly out of your control. So one of the things would be to, I think, attracting talent for those really specific needs. We ended up uh, hiring several retired engineers who used to be at Johnson & Johnson. So obviously similar product category. And I think that was a huge unlock for us. But before then, you know, you're really in a space that you don't have. I mean, I personally didn't have tampon manufacturing experience. And so finding finding those people and just it, a lot of it is through networking um, and and talking to people that are in the industry about your your problems was a was a huge unlock for us. Have you ever thought about going to the families like the Johnson family to their venture fund? Yeah, we've we've talked to them, I think, a while ago now. So I think we're definitely open to collaboration. One of the really interesting things about having technology behind our brand is that also we have licensing opportunities. So I think we're really open to those conversations on can other brands also capitalize off of our, our technology and commercialize that? No, that's great. You know, the family offices are up about 30 percent now. It's kind of interesting. Post Series A is down about 70, but the family offices are up. And so those family offices are becoming a lot more aggressive than they used to be. And they're really good long-term partners. The kind of things that we see, one of our companies just got funded by one of the family offices, but they become very strategic investors because if you're in there and their ha family happens to be in healthcare, for instance, it surely makes it a lot easier when that person calls the CEO of the company or sends a note to him or her and saying, you might want to take a look at this. Could be interesting uh, for us. Um, you know, we're going to invest in it through our fund. Maybe it's interesting for the company. Mm. And so it's uh, it's kind of like the secret sauce. It's like unspoken. It's like the next level up. People don't talk about it, but it happens yeah. all the time. Yeah, I think that's a really good point of just making making it easy to to have a partnership like that and aligning those interests so that everyone is you know moving towards the same same page. Yeah, there's actually one of the guys in um, uh, there's a, a family offices out in um, Nevada, and um, Robert. I'll have to give you, I don't want to, I better not mention his name here, but I'll have to give you uh, a contact there. He might be interesting for you. He's a uh, doctor um, who has a family office. It's one of the top med tech investors. 
Wow, that would be that would yeah. be great. That's that's really where we're heading is more towards medical devices and leaning into that as a skill of getting FDA and and dealing with complicated manufacturing rather than towards the CPG. But I think we see that as kind of two arms of the business that work together. So you know, uh, you're out there. You're talking to entrepreneurs. You know, if you have had a you have a chance to address them, we have up to fifty thousand watch our show. Uh, awesome. What would you say to them? So what would you say to them? They're out there. They see the world the way it is today. Um, um, they're not sure what to do. What would you tell them? Yeah, I think, I mean, it depends what, what type of entrepreneur and what stage they're at. I think the way that I always have thought about things is you can, you can really get intimidated by how large the mountain that you're trying to, to summit is, for lack of a better metaphor. But if you can gradually de-risk that and kind of take off bite-sized chunks, that way you start to build your foundation. You start to just get rid of assumptions and actually have data backed um, direction for the company. And so I would say, yeah, start chunking out those big, big things and big goals into smaller ones and kind of work backwards from them. That's really the tactic that has been extremely simple, but helpful for us also in any fundraising. If you think, hey, our goal is to raise a series A or raise a series B and think, okay, if I want to do that in a year, what are some things that need to be true that I know that need to be true to make that happen and then start working on those? So it's very, very simple. But um, otherwise, you end up just trying to kind of hit a home run and that's not going to succeed in most cases. Well, I mean, the other thing is, you know, one of the things that I've se I've seen over the 17 companies that I've been involved in is you go down through and you don't test what you have. Right. You, sometimes people don't validate it. And, you know, Steve Blank and, and my friend Bob Dorf wrote this book, The Startup Owner's Manual, and it's absolutely right. You got to validate it. You don't know if somebody wants it or not. Yeah. And sometimes you get, you delude yourself and say, oh, I have the best product in the world. And maybe somebody doesn't want it. So yeah. one of the things you got to do is you got to test it to make sure that's that's really interesting for the market. And they're going to willing to take money out of their pockets and pay for it. Because they're yeah. not willing to take money out of their pockets and you built something just because you think you're really cool and interesting. And I done it already once. Yeah. That was the last time. Uh, you end up having pain and the pain isn't fun and you maybe lose a market opportunity. So get out there, make sure you're hitting. What does it mean? It means walking down the street, talking to people. It means yeah. going to places like uh, Palo Alto and going down to university. I used to go into the, you know, and still do go into the uh, coffee shops and, and uh, crepe vine and all that. And I would talk to people and, um, in fact, I did it last week. I would talk to people and I would just get their opinion, what they think about things. And yeah. if you do that, it saves you a whole lot of time and money. You know, each of us have an opportunity to be able to change our life. Each have an opportunity to be able to move forward with a startup. But keep your, you know, God gave us two ears and a mouth for a reason. You know, listen, there's a lot of opportunities out there, but listen, get the feedback. So with that, we're coming up to the top of the show. Uh, closing thoughts and how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, I, I just want to say, Gary, that was an excellent thought. And that is exactly kind of what I was saying with mechanical engineering is great, but you can be obsessed with a problem that doesn't exist. The voice of the consumer is absolutely paramount to any success. Um, people can get reach out to me at Greta at TriSQL.com or on LinkedIn. Um, that's my direct email, though. Feel free to reach out. And yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's great to hear your experience and get to chat a little bit about my journey as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I got to get you on GSD Network too. We have a another. We have a, a few shows that are out there. I'd love to get you on GSD Network to talk about your journey. So thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. Thanks, thanks to Gary. all of you for joining one more time. GSD presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech.
My name is Gary Fowler, and I'm your host. Stay happy, stay safe, and stay healthy. And I will be back to you again on Thursday for another exciting edition. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Gary.